It's no surprise that updating the electricity grid today will make for a better tomorrow. Increased self-sufficiency is just one of the benefits. The Great Grid upgrade will also boost the economy and create new green jobs. And best of all, you can continue doing the things you love, like watching the latest epic nature documentary or listening to this podcast while caring for the planet too. Find out more at nationalgrid.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast, the nature and countryside podcast from BBC Country Farm magazine. My name is Fergus Collins and I'm the host of the podcast. This season of 12 episodes is devoted to the wild wonders of water and in this, our penultimate episode, I leave you in the hands of two fantastic storytellers wandering along Devon's River Axe. Martin Maudsley will be familiar to many listeners of the podcast for his tales of folklore and legend. And today he joins photographer and countryman Jim Brown to meander along the river looking for wildlife and telling old tales. Martin then takes us back to his own local river in Dorset to recount some old stories of his own. It's totally lovely. Plus, later I'm joined again by my super podcast team, Jack and Hannah, to talk about listeners' letters and reveal another special sound of the week. But for now, be transported to early spring in Devon and a soothing saunter in extremely genial company. So, uh, I'm with Jim, Jim Brown. What? James Brown. James Brown. <laughs> the dude. James Brown. The James Brown. Not Can the Godfather. The Godfather of East Devon, because that's where we are, just across <laughs> the border uh, from Dorset, which is my patch, and just a few miles into um, Devon, which is your patch, Jim. It is. You're it born is and bred, are you? Or? No, I come from South Chard, or Chard rather, the northern edge of Chard. So Somerset? Somerset, yeah, South mm-hmm. Somerset, and I migrated. <laughs> yeah, down I'm south. Part of the invasion force. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're doing well. Which, Excuse funny me. enough, we're, we're on the River Axe, which you're going to take me for a walk in the River Axe. Um, I met Jim um, at River Cottage. You worked there. Yeah. Oh, you used to work there before this uh, COVID. Year, before yeah. The COVID. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was doing a bit of storytelling in the lull between uh, lockdowns. Uh, and you were tending the fire, I remember. Yeah, you? I was. And, uh, yeah. and I found out that you were a better storyteller than me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what I remember. We have one or two, for certain. Well, for I love sitting by the fire, so I've, yeah, I've yeah. kept in touch a little bit with Jim. And uh, he's mainly um, a photographer and a wildlife photographer. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. What, what started that off for you, Jim? A passion for wildlife, really. Um, a lot of the wildlife that are, that's here today, if it's not recorded, won't be here in right. 25 years. And it was all about grandkids and leaving them a legacy. Right. Started it, and it's become a passion. So you share your photographs with them? Or? Yeah, I show them. Um, anybody who wants to see the photograph, I'll take right. people out that have got right. an interest in wildlife. Because we have to protect it now. It's gone yeah. past um, looking after itself. It can't be done anymore. We right. have to protect wildlife. So at a critical it's down to It's down to us. Yeah. Now. And do you find... Going out with the camera, we're well, not with the camera today, are we? No, no, I'm bored. But the when you go out on your own with the camera, do you find that that tunes you in somehow to the, the nature that's around you? Yeah, it does. It's it's all about on the peripheral vision. It's things that happen on the outside edges of you. Yeah. You know, uh, and it, you get attuned to looking on your peripheral vision, right. not straight ahead. Right. It's things that are going on. And then you slowly and, move towards and you that. Move it. Yeah, you do. Mm. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, yeah. So we're on, we're on the River Axe. In fact, I was just thinking that we're on the River Axe, which starts up in Dorset, actually, where I am. Uh, it starts Stood, at the right? uh, Cheddington Amphitheatre. Right. And then um, it goes into Somerset a bit. Where yeah, it covers the three counties. Yeah, and then down. Yeah. And now we're in East Devon. So just looking out, we've got just between those alders there, we can see some mute swans. Is yeah. that Yeah, we've got mute regular swans there. Yeah, they're always winter, here. They're always here. Winter right? more so than the summer. We do get some that breed on the, on the River Axe, yeah. which is lovely. You um, thought those might be from Abbotsbury, though? Yeah, we do get them. They migrate them. across. Um, the ones from Abbotsbury are usually rung. They have, a, like, a yellow ring, leg ring on them. Um, okay. But I don't know if we're going to get close enough to these as we go down the river to have a look at that. But, right. You know, well, we'll have a look. There's quite a collection here now. But on the start of this walk, you were just mentioning that, actually, this river has changed quite a lot in your lifetime. Ah, oh, dramatically, yeah. Um, in what ways? And I think, I think we've got to put our hand on our heart and say it's farming Is practices it? have okay. changed. Um, if we look closely at the river now, it's full of algae. Mm-hmm. Um, years ago, that you wouldn't have had that. It's, it's the nitrogen that's been put onto the land. Um, a lot of people blame farmers, but I think they just follow 
follow orders, if you like, yeah. from the government. They, right. Government say produce food, yeah. and the quickest way to produce grass for cattle and things like that is to put nitrogen on the yeah. ground. And nitrogen causes um, filamentous algae to bloom in the rivers, right. which is detrimental to salmonid socks. Etc. Uh, Etc. Et so it's the fish that you notice. Yeah, down? the fish what have gone the down. There's hardly any salmonid run this river now. It used to be a really prolific river for salmon and sea right. trout. Sea trout more in the latter years, but early years, you know. And there's been some big fish recorded out of this river, yeah. but past decades, not right. now. Not They've now. gone. You know. And what else do you think we might find today? We're going to set out now and have a little ramble. Well, we're going to ra- ramble down through. We might. Kingfisher oh, yeah. holes just starting. Um, we might see a badger, um, not a badger, rather an otter indeed. Yeah. Um, might see one. Like Various birds, tree yeah. creepers, nut hatches, just general. We'll see what comes up. Shall we? Yeah, really. That's the, that's the joy of walking the river axe. Yeah, you, you, know, know you, you never find. know. No, absolutely. Well, I think that's what, you know. For me, I was thinking about why do I love rivers, and I think it's that that it's, it's there the same river's there when you go back next time but it's changed you know the flow it's a changed. living thing yeah. it evolves mm. you know the moment we move from this spot it will change it's again a river, isn't it? yeah, yeah. It, and that's the essence of water isn't it you know it's yeah. a, mutable changeable you know, so right. we'll go downstream will we we'll head we're going to head downstream now um, for probably about a mile and a half yep uh, and we'll then we'll and then we'll cut across the flood plains fantastic come back through well I'm in your hands Jim so let's have a wander now we'll have a wander Let's have a wonder. This used to be trees. All through here. Really? Yeah. So what's why the, the banks? Why is it? It's eroding the oh, banks. Okay. And the trouble is, if you make a river faster, it erodes more. You have to slow water down yeah, to protect right. protect the land. Which is why we just briefly mentioned that the, ba- the sorry, I'm saying badgers as well. Yeah. Why the beaver might would that yeah. help with the slowing of the river? Well, like that, you can see this debris in the river here. Yeah. Well, that slowed that down that river. So there's a little patch of land that's been cut yeah. with willows, and, and then it's caught some debris, and then yeah, it's yeah. slowed down that. And it's pushed it. Yeah. Across. So it's, a, so it's a beginning of a meander there. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess that's what the bad the we've beavers will be doing. Across here now, oh, yeah, look. mallards are in. <laughs> <laughs> Milord and Milady Mallard. Absolutely. <laughs> looking yeah. pretty happy with themselves. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but listen, to that sound. That's what yeah. it's about. It's a lovely sound, isn't it? It's, it's a kind it just of takes some music. It, you know. Mm. Do you often find yourself just sitting and listening? Yep. Or do you, you Many know? times. Yeah. Hours as well. Hours. <laughs> but you can see where the banks have been eroded. Because again, we get more floods now than we used Right. So you said. We've got floods. We yeah. always have, we've always had floods. So we've got this very flat land either side of the river here. So this yeah, this is the, up in the winter. This is the floodplains. Fl- yep. This is a lake. Really? When it floods, this is a lake. Wow. All down through here. And this winter has flooded that? Yeah, two or three times. Uh-huh. So we've seen the river come out. Very spiteful river. Quite a short river. It's about 26 miles long, I think. Okay. Yeah. From source to sea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we've turned a corner now, and already it looks a lot more natural. We've got these... Um, proper old willows sort of leaning out mm. and uh, feel and a bit more of a meander to it yeah the old grey willow it gives strength to the banks yeah and that you can see the roots you know just gnarly fingers aren't they, they are, you know just look like an, this this particular old willow is lent quite far out into the river and then we look down on the roots they're just like tentacles aren't they they really? are indeed and they're, but they're holding the bank together they're protecting mm. it so that's a good sign and full of uh, colour at this time of year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of yeah new, this is like a saltwoody colour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Orangey red, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's quite catchy on the eye, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I yeah. love the willow anyway, because I think there's, there's a lot of stories about willow, a lot of folklore. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember we talked about we it. Did, didn't we did, yeah. We not? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's particularly associated with um, this time of year, really, February. People used to say that um, they would tie a knot in the willow if they had a, a wish or, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, a, a desire. They'd tie it all in the, in the flexible branch and then if that wish came true uh, yeah, we had yeah. to go back and undo it because that yeah. was like honouring the, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. the you know the source of the wishes but they also made traps out of willow of course yeah for eel traps and that because this river they used to clack here all down through here right clacking's so, a long pole yeah length of line with a big bunch of wool on the end uh-huh. that's threaded through worms right and they just drop it in for the eels for the eels and the eels the eels 
have got serrated teeth that point backwards and they can't let go of the wall and that's how you catch them that's so how you go clatting it's yeah. called clacking clatting clatting thank you I've never mm. heard of clatting ah the, oh yeah the young swans huh? uh, I know you can see they're sort of slightly mottled with yeah, uh, yeah. grey brown aren't they the they are indeed busily feeding all their necks are bent down and yeah. gobbling the grass yeah the, the three here are last year's young yep see they haven't quite changed their colour yet yep so then, come midsummer they'll change now there's two adults yeah on the left <laughs> they're just sort of quite static really almost sleeping aren't they the adults yeah Lovely. There's quite a volume of water in the river today, actually. It's very high, isn't it? It feels... Yeah. Well, this is a lovely proper meander here, isn't it? It's got a, mm, almost a dog leg left, an yeah, oxbow, yeah. Big oxbow, yes, yeah. Uh, it's, um, oh, are there... So, you, we were wondering whether there might be some sand martins. There's a few this holes is a, there, or is that... Or is that um, I would say that's probably an old vole hole. Oh, OK. It's quite they high up Sand the martins, they, they nest in colonies. Yeah. And that's not a colony. You know, but these banks are big enough for San Martin. Yeah, yeah. The trouble with this river is that it will go over those banks and flood them. Right. That's the same with kingfishers. And that. Um, There's almost a little beach here. And yeah. <laughs> someone's made a little sandcastle. Like they do. <laughs> like they do. Like well, it's a good do. sign, isn't it? The kids are coming down. But you see all of this in the river here. Look. All that. That's enrichment right. caused by nitrogen. I can remember rivers years ago, and you wouldn't see any enrichment. It'd just be stones. Right. And so the fish Clear would, water. Yeah. And that's what the salmon would have been They would have bred in it, yeah. yeah. Not so much down these lower reaches, but as you go up the river, they're like uh, feeder streams. Right. And they go up those, and they, then they spawn. Right. Now, I've been out at Westwater, which we're not going to go to today, a weir, um, counting salmon as they migrate up the river. You won't see them now. We won't be counting many today. No. Yeah, the water. Yeah. I guess it does tune you in, does it? Once you start listening to the water, then you sort of push your ears. Yeah, you think, what else can I hear? So from catching fish yourself yeah. and from working for the Rivers Authority, yeah. uh, how did the photography come about? I've always re- liked to record stuff, mm-hmm. you know, um, from the old 35 mil right. right way up through, really. And you now, use digital now, I'm guessing. Digital now, yeah, 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 yeah. Digital now is perfect, isn't it? You know, you can take thousands of images mm. and keep one mm. and go format or delete no extra expense it's, it's it's a wonderful medium to work with and you've managed to make something of a living you, you sell your photographs yeah my photographs are sold yeah yeah it's um i think that's the that's the pat on the back yeah if somebody wants to spend their hard-earned money on one of your images yeah. that's like yeah you know what i've made it i've done that yeah it's all yeah. those hours of Walking the river and yeah. looking through the periphery vision and waiting. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it just makes it worthwhile. But somebody would want to spend, as I said, their hard-earned money on one of your images. And would you find a spot to sit and wait for things to come to you? Or are you yeah. just wait for the chance encounter? Yeah. Well, look, perfect example. Log sticking out of there. Uh-huh. Well, I wonder how many kingfishers have sat on that. It looks right for a kingfisher post, doesn't it? Yeah, and it's how many hours have I got to sit here right. to get that kingfisher picture? So, the, yeah, it's the answer to your question. Yeah, it's been hours if I had to. Yeah, and I wouldn't stand here. I'd be down there. Okay, so lower wet. down by the willow there. Yeah, get, yeah, yeah. Getting your feet in the water. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
you've got to put hours on the bank or anywhere if you're going to achieve anything doing wildlife photography you've got to have some knowledge as well you know and there's loads of books on that I know but and you were yeah. self-taught were you you just went out yeah no I was self-taught I've read loads of books on it now mm-hmm. to be fair um, but yeah all self-taught on the photography side of things must have been six or seven years ago now I photographed an otter in daylight on the axe um, down at Waycroft and they said nobody's seen one and it was a big dog otter and it was absolutely stunning quarter past seven on Sunday morning and it just blew me away because I actually thought it was a mink coming up the river I thought I'll photograph the mink and lo and behold it was a big dog otter Wow! and I mean a big dog otter Um, yeah so I was very fortunate and it was published quite widely which was lovely okay so it was lovely, you know. So you send your photos in, do you? To, uh, if I if I local papers and that, if if it's worthy, it's good. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm always self-critical. Yeah, yeah. But I think any artist is. I'm a very lucky person about to do this. But you have to work as well because you've got to pay the bills. You don't get bored of walking the same piece of land. Oh, what have we got there? Some scratch marks in the riverbank. Yeah. Now I'm going to say this is probably an otter that's exited from here and scratched its way up. It's not a dog, definitely. Mm-hmm. So that that's good. So there you go. We're in the right territory. Absolutely. I guess it's very bright now, and it's sort of getting on towards midday. So we're not going to. No, you yeah. probably wouldn't see one now. They're lined up now. Yeah. And that. But it is nice to know they are about. And that because it changes of an evening this river as well. Because then the dusk mm. animals come out. Yeah. The fox. The crepuscular creatures. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. The ones that frighten us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, although there's no need, really, to be frightened no, of any but creature. But I suppose... I was, I was, it's I, fables, isn't it? The yeah. fables have done it, you know. I suppose that's one of the ways, you know, as, as human beings, we were very heavily influenced by nighttime. You know, we, we would have had to gone for shelter, wouldn't we, at, yeah. at nighttime absolutely. In, in the times absolutely. that we evolved. And I suppose yeah. we're still very sensitive to that time of day. Yeah, no, that's right. And did you have? A, we were talking about me having a mentor when I was younger. Did you ever have anyone that was sort of got you into wildlife that took you out on walks when you were a kid? Or, or... <laughs> yeah, yeah, many years ago. Oh, guy called Frank. I don't know his surname. Never asked him. He was a proper old countryman on the northern edge of Chard. And what he what he used to do for a living was summer months he'd help haymaking on the farms. Uh-huh. Winter months, he'd do ditching and hedging, and his pay was he could take game from the land. Okay. That was it. Just and maybe cider. From the wild. Yeah, and that's how he lived. And for some reason, he took a shine to me, which, would, like I say, would be frowned on in today's society, <laughs> I guess. So. I guess. Um, and he taught me everything, really. How to notice. Yeah, as I said before, don't look ahead, look on the peripheral things. Mm. And that's where you'll see you know, the the prize, and if mm. you like. Um, but, yeah, and he taught me how to do traps, how to catch things, how to track things, you know, how to live off the land, really. Yeah. Um, amazing man. Lessons that you, you know, yeah. you use and having your photography. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But he had one of those old black 1950s bikes with the, with the round chrome handlebars. Okay. And the sit-up-and-beg thing. Yeah, and on the um, crossbar... He had an old Hessian sack with all these tools in it. Okay. And he had it tied on. <laughs> nice. And that's how he... That was it. Right. And I can see his gaiters now made out of Hessian sacks. Oh, lovely. You know, but that... That was what we've lost. We need to stretch a bit here. because Yeah, yeah, really there's a bit of damp ground there. Uh, he's gone, is he, Frank? Is it yeah, he, yeah, he went years ago. Oh, yeah. You know. But it's almost like escapism, isn't it? You know, when you find somebody that will tell you all that stuff, yeah. it's like, whoa. You know? Because I suppose one of the, the little bits of hope that I have is that I've got my daughter, you met actually in River yeah, Cottage, I did. Yeah, and absolutely. she was really keen to, to to hang out with you actually, because yeah. <laughs> she can tell when someone's got a good yarn to tell. Oh, yeah. Um, but I got a bit of hope for her because she, I mean, it, um, she's not available today, but she would have come out on a walk and yep. she would have loved to hear about you know where the Kingfisher posts were and how the river's changing its shape and the banks. Yeah, I've got so, granddaughters that I do the same with, I talk to them about yeah. it. Because they need to know. Hmm. 
you know. There's um, a thirst for that sort of knowledge, isn't there? If we can you, you have keep to, supplying it. Yeah, I think that's what it is, and it's doing it at a young age. Yeah. It really is like another world now. It's not the same river at all. Partly because of the weather and partly because of the, the widening out. It's just a beautiful place. <laughs> you know, what more can I say? It's it's where I, I escaped from. Yeah. And this is great because there's no humans. Apart from you, Martin. Well, I'm glad you included me. Yeah, in that. I thought I'd better include Martin <laughs> yeah. in that. There's a nice widening here and a looks like a backwater, a little channel that's gone back on itself. So we're just gonna walk down a little bit farther, but we'll come back to this bridge in a minute. Okay. Here? Yep. We'll cross that. Yeah. But look at that. It's you got can a favourite hard... season. You 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 like the summer, do you wonder? I actually like I actually I like the autumn. Do you? Yeah. I like it when it changes, and it changes so dramatically. You know, Heron? Oh, yeah. Look at that. You can see why my daughter called it a, a pterodactyl. pterodactyl. <laughs> it is a remarkably wide-winged animal, isn't it? Yeah, look at these birds. What's he doing? He's sort of shifting in the air there. He's trying to get away from these. Ah, uh, the, the southern... Goals have come yeah. up through. Dorset, they call them a hansa, the old word, a hansa. Which, yeah, I'd heard that yeah. before, actually, yeah. yeah, yeah. Devon, maybe, as well. You know that phrase, a, a hawk and a hansa? Well, we say a hawk and a hansa now. Yeah, that's it right, that's right. A hawk and a hansa being a sort of hawk and a, and a heron. Big pool of mud at the end there, Jim. There is. Too many people. <laughs> <laughs> so, here we are. So what, the yacht is going up this way, is it? Yeah. So this is the axe, there. And the Yarty's that one there. Oh, that one. Sorry, I got that wrong. Yeah. Oh, really so deceiving. Are we going to go up to the Yarty? We can walk over to the Yarty yeah, we'll and walk around. Get a feel for that as well. Yeah. So as each river has a different character, doesn't it? Yes, it does, yeah. It's, um... Yarty's incredibly spiteful. It floods. Is it? Instantly, pretty much. I like the idea of personifying a river like that. I suppose it's a storyteller in spiteful river. Well, it just rises and falls so quickly. Mm. I wonder why that's why you know, there's a lot of stories about fairies in British folklore. I wonder if that's because it's like they embody the sort of capriciousness of nature. You know, the fact Possibly. that we flood and we have storms and yeah. crops fail is, you know, the sense of... Yep. And linked with that, I suppose, it's like it's almost what you're saying, that we've, you know, we need to do the right thing by the land. We I think most stories tell that, don't they? So they we do. need to do the right thing by the land and then the land will look after us. It will, Absolutely. Oh, what have we got there now? That's a big bird of prey. Oh, obviously, um, obscured just by the uh, trees. That's that peripheral. Yeah. What do you think that was? I think that was a buzzard, actually. But it was coming in on something up there. But So this is the River Yarty. Smaller, yep. different type of river. Yep. And that feeds in and then goes down to... Axmouth and Seaton. It, it does. So, yeah, all, all Goes down through, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. But you can see. It's a very boring. rickety bridge here. That's oh, yeah, don't walk on that one. No, it's just held together. Well, you can. I'd hold the microphone, wire. shall I? Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it does instill in us a, a positivity about meandering, doesn't it? As, yeah, as the river nice. meanders, then why don't we. Just take life just like that. Take this yeah. step back and. Yeah. And I also like the fact that I feel like I've been walking, or well, I've been walking for a couple of hours, and uh, we've hardly got any distance at all. I can yeah. practically see the car. Well, yeah, it's, a, it's a, just a nice walk. It's, but it's all convoluted in itself, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Which is lovely. And, uh, yeah. Held within the landscape at the moment, aren't we, by the river's boundaries and you know, not having to think about which route we're going because we're just following the river's Absolutely. course and where the river wants to take us. Well, that is just. That's what it's all about, is uh, just let the river guide you. It's, it's, it's quite simple, really. You know, it's not a difficult thing to do. So I could, would you consider doing guided walks? You know, you could do the photography. Yeah. Things. This would be a good spot for you to take. Yeah, I do, I do some courses. Okay. 
Um, but obviously COVID stopped them. Yeah. Uh, but you've got a group of people where you share. Yeah, you only want. You would only want to bring probably three or four. Mm. After that, people get left on the side. It's a bit of a crowd. Yeah, really, and the wildlife go. Yeah. Too many people. But this is. This is a lovely little river, the Yarty. A lot going for it. So I'm going to record a bit of the sound of the Yarty. It's a different song, isn't it? Absolutely. This, this would be alive with sand martins in the summer. Really? Yeah, alive. Oh, I must come back. And you're going to make an effort to photograph them this year? Yeah, so. yeah, I'm, I'm going to put some time on this one. Mm. Yeah. So if anybody wants to join me. Well, I might do you myself, actually. It would be lovely to spend time with a martin. Being a martin myself, of course. Absolutely. A martin amongst the martins. Oh, <laughs> there you go. That's, that's a snipe. There it goes. It's gone, gone down. Gone down. So it's flew along just from underneath the bank and along the river and then yeah. it's dipped down quite quickly, hasn't it? It has. Hiding. Here's all the holes. You'll see them there. This is a Sam Martin colony. Oh, yes, yeah, so now the slightly taller bank and it's got a lot of holes. There you go. Sort of two-thirds of the way up. There you go. Yeah. Oh, good. There's nothing better being sat here watching them there. Did you get that close? Were any? Yep. What? Sort of ten 20, meters away. Yeah. Yeah, they won't worry about it. They'll get used to you. Right. So you sit here and, yeah. and just wait it out. Yeah. I might throw a, a bit of cover over me. Yep. Um. You're in your camouflage jacket right now. But I am. Yeah. You'd but it's only because it's lightweight this one yeah. this is my summer one <laughs> okay. I call it and that but yeah so that's a good spot so we might see you back here in uh, a month's oh you will time. I'll be here and over there along those banks because this is where the martins go this well is... I'm sort of slightly torn between sort of moving on and going back to the end point of our journey and just sitting here in the sun I think I might come back actually I think you've opened up a... you need to yeah, you've opened up a landscape for me. Walk, walk a river. Yeah. I mean, I'll go back to my local Dorset River and, and walk that, but I think I might come here on my own, and the pull to, to be still and, and listen is very strong. It is. It is. And and the more people do it, the less mental illnesses, perhaps, stress-related illnesses. You know, it's just something you can do, and it doesn't cost anything. But just take time. Don't, br- don't bring a crazy dog that runs around on the end of a lead that you have to look after. Come by yourself. Just sit quietly. That's not saying don't take the dog for a walk. No, but but occasionally, just go for yourself. Sit down, kick a few stones, you know. The old, the old countryman used to pick up a blade of grass, mm. put it in the corner of the mouth. Not just a stereotype, but a, a real thing. Yeah, a real yeah. thing. They pick up a bit of grass or an old stick and chew it. Mm. Uh, you know, they never had any teeth, mine, but... That's another story. This is the way home that Jim has it taken is. me. And we are literally bent double, uh, walking through very wet mud, underneath the road, away from the river now, Jim, so you're not going to be happy about I'm that. I'm not happy. No, no, and you were saying that this was... You could walk upright. This is all... Originally, when this doubles. was built, you could walk under here. Wow. And you can hear the echo for certain. It's a rather uninspiring <laughs> end, but I suppose that's... Part of the story, isn't it? That That's what we've been talking about yeah, all the way through. Humans interacting with wildlife and how we we've find our way and, and, you know, being honest about it all, really. Yeah, we've been impacted. Oh, there's we've still impacted. the river there on the left. That's good. Oh, yeah, it's not far. Never far. I feel like we're never far from the river when we're with you. Not with me. It's now later in the day. It's, it's late afternoon and the sun is still shining, though it's... Pretty close to setting on the horizon. I've come back to the river, not the same river. I've come over to my local river. I'm down on the river Asker, 
just as it flows through the meadows uh, and heading out where it joins the River Brit and goes out to the sea at West Bay, near Bridport, where I live. And I'm with my daughter now, not with Jim. And she's um, got her a couple of her toys and she's making little fishing rods. So I think Jim will be pleased that she's connecting with this river, making little fishing rods and playing with her toys and being in the moment. And I was just thinking about this morning and listening to Jim and, li- and learning from the river, really learning how to go slowly and how to live in the flow of the moment. And a story has just come back to me, that one that I've known for a while and I've told a few times but not for a long time, that speaks of the same thing. It's about uh, a local fisherman down at Axmouth where that river axe flows out to the sea and he's been fishing all morning and by lunchtime of that day he's upturned his little fishing dinghy and he's got his back to the boat and he's facing out with the sun on his face looking out at sea and it so happens that a, a businessman was taking his lunch break and was walking along the same stretch of beach and sees the fisherman there sitting with his back against the boat he said what, what are you doing he said I'm, I'm enjoying the afternoon by the sea he said well, what about your fishing I've done my fishing I've sold my fish he said, well why don't you go fishing again well, why do I need to do that I said, well, if you go fishing again, you can sell those fish, you can make more money, double the money that you've made this morning. But why would I do that? Well, if you sell more fish, eventually you could save some of that money, you could buy another boat, you could get somebody else, hire them to, to fish the boat for you, you could take a cut of their money and you'd be making three times as much money. But why would I do that? Well, if you work really hard and have two boats, maybe you could put money down and have a factory a fish processing factory and if you expand your empire a fleet of boats with the fishing factory if you work hard for the rest of your working life well then eventually you could sit down retire sit on the beach with your back against a boat and your face in the sun and enjoy the sight of the river as it flows out into the sea well i know which one i'd rather be i'd rather take the afternoon off if i can I'd rather sit by the river today rather than think about the future, which is a, a long flow of water ahead of us, really. We don't know quite where we're going with that. And I'm now sat underneath a willow tree, and I'm very fond of willow trees. They're full of stories. And an egret, I've just seen a, another little egret, not the same one, I'm sure, not the same one. Uh, but it's just flown past, and me and Annie have been marvelling at it. I've seen the yellow feet that Jim talked about, and I hadn't realised that they had yellow feet to, to go fishing with. And the story I've got to tell is of a willow tree that grows in Somerset, where, where Jim is from. And it's a story of a tree that grows by a bridge, a little wooden bridge, over a, a little flowing river. And the people that live near the willow tree, near the bridge, they've come to love that willow tree. It's a shady resting place after the work in the fields in the summer. In the winter it stands stark and still, covered with a filigree of frost. It's like a symbol of standing firm in the hard times. And in the springtime they wait for those first unfolding leaves, for the first dangling catkins, a sign of the beginning of the beginning of spring. And there's a farmer who lives on the edge of that village and he, more than anybody else, loves that old willow tree. He can see it from the window of his house and after working in the fields every day he comes back and spends a little time sitting with his back against the bark of the willow tree watching the rise and flow of the river and being in the moment. And one year, there's messengers come from the king. The king has decided he wants to build a great feasting hall out of wood, out of timber, and because of timber he needs trees, and he sent his scouts scurrying across the land to find the right trees that can provide the right timber to build his feasting hall. And some of those messengers, those servants, have come to the village where the willow tree grows and they intend to chop down the willow. But the farmer, he runs to them in a mixture of of fear and fury. He, He offers them other trees that are growing on his own land if they'd just leave that one willow tree and eventually they they bargain and he gives them the right number of trees that they need for their project and they go away fell the trees and take them away and the willow tree grows and it wasn't that long later in the early part of spring when he was sitting with his back against the tree and as he's staring into one of the deeper pools of the water he suddenly sees the pale moon behind him in the branches reflected in the water but then he sees what he first thinks is another moon he looks again it's not another moon but it's a face the face of a 
pale, beautiful young woman. And he stands up and he looks round to see where she is, but she seems to disappear, as if she's literally disappearing into the tree. And he didn't see her again that evening, but the next day he goes back, and the next evening he sees her again, and this time she lingers a little longer. And they stay by the tree, keeping their distance, and talking, and all the time he talks of how much he loves the willow, and her smile seems to get wider the more she hears his words, and... One thing flows into another and eventually over the weeks as they're meeting by the willow tree beside the river they fall in love and the next year they agree to get married and all the while they they keep the river as a kind of constant flowing emotional life between them. But not long after they've been married there comes again more messages from the king and this time the king is needing more timber from trees to build ships to expand his navy and more men are sent scouring the countryside until they come to the village where the willow tree grows and they've earmarked already and when he finds out he runs down to the tree standing in front of the servants the soldiers trying to defend his precious willow but no amount of bargaining or pleading this time and in the end soldiers have to hold the farmer pin him down while servants come with sharp axes and they bite into bark, they turn tree into timber with a groan and a sigh and spilt leaves on the ground, that old willow tree finally falls. And in that moment there's a pain that enters into the farmer's heart. He breaks free from his captors and he runs back to the house now in the the shadows of the inside of his house. He goes to his bed where there's an imprint, but his willow wife has gone. And it's a sad story. Um, It speaks of many things about how closely we are related to to trees and all aspects of nature, really. But when I first started to tell that story, um, I told it several times in Somerset, and I told it when I could outdoors. I like telling stories outdoors because things come in to help with the telling of the tale. The bird cries or the flow of the water kind of assists with the telling. And as I was telling this story, I saw... In the bare, silty banks, as we saw in the River X today, there was a a willow twig, I guess, that had plugged into the bank and already must have taken root because there was new leaves and new shoots coming from the little broken stem of this willow that it had perhaps come from a felled tree or a fallen tree and new life was already beginning. And I think that's what I'm I'm left with, really, that, that the willow tree has that wisdom of teaching us that the hard times will be overcome eventually that the hard times in nature that that Jim has talked about will will be overcome hopefully or at least we can hold out for that moment that ourselves in our hard times this last year that those times will change as well and I remember the thing that I told Jim that sometimes when I want to make a wish or, or hold on to a desire or a, or an intention even is to take a little flexible springing branch of willow and tie a little knot on it and to wish for better times and to to wish for good things for that place or for those people so I'm going to do that today I'm going to wish for good times for the rivers that we both share in our local patches and I'm going to wish for for good times to come as we as we move forward in these next few weeks and most of all I think I'm going to learn to sit by the river more often and to take my time and I hope you um find your moments find your rivers find your willow trees and thank you for listening ah well that was lovely a great tale from my old friend martin maudsley the riverbanks of dorset you can find more of jim's photos at jamesbrownphotography.co and of course martin storyteller martin you can find more about him at martin maudsley that's Martin M A U D S L E Y dot co dot UK. When this is all over, I hope to hear many more tales from my good old friends. Well, my name's Fergus Collins, and I'm the host of the podcast. Talking of good old friends, <laughs> <laughs> I'm back in the studio with Jack and Hannah, and we're going to talk a little bit about, well, what we've just heard, really, and then some other bits and pieces along the way, the usual podcast postbag roundup guys did you enjoy a little adventure in devon along the river 
I thought it was lovely. Very calming. I mean, the added bonus, I think the accents, there's just something to me being from the West Country, that sort of accent just feels very warm and and homely to me, which was an added bonus. Jim feels like the sort of guy you want to hang out with. Mm. He was so warm. And then obviously Martin's Lancashire accent, which was lovely Mm. to hear. I think it was really interesting the way that Jim was talking about um, his photography recording nature for the next generation. I've been thinking quite a lot recently about how what I remember from my childhood is different from what my mum remembers in her childhood and so on and so forth. The, The mix of creatures, the mix of different calls and sounds and the things that she would have seen that I don't necessarily see now. But then I might see more different species that she doesn't see. And the way that we're, we've all got this sort of collective understanding of what the countryside is, but that's always changing. Starlings is one thing that I, I think is a good measure. There used to be this incredibly common bird. Starlings are absolutely everywhere. And as a kid, we'd see starling murmurations in the fields opposite us in Somerset and uh, in winter. Now you have to travel quite a distance to see a a really fantastic murmuration. But I can remember these clouds of birds. And so people nowadays think of starlings, unless you have them in your garden and in your surroundings, people don't see that many starlings anymore. They're almost like becoming a rare bird in parts of the country. There's a reason for that decline. And it's it's rather sad. But because we get used to the fewer numbers... That's the shifting baselines and we don't we don't question enough. I feel like there's that weird phenomenon as well that everyone always feels like when they were younger, everything was a lot warmer and there was a lot more mm. sort of wildlife <laughs> and stuff going on. And I think maybe that's part of it is when you grow older, you just assume that was just the, that weird younger memory rather than there actually has been a change that you just put down to be in a false memory. That's a good point. Nostalgia. Mm. It's yeah, not there was loads it's more not... frog spawn when I was a kid. Now, now there's not so much. <laughs> yeah. And there are lots of things which are doing really well, which were really rare when I was a nipper, which was, I don't know, mid-18th century. <laughs> and <laughs> things like buzzards. Buzzards were really, really... You'd see them in the West Country and in Wales, but not in the east of England. And now they're to a penny. You know, tens of thousands of pairs of buzzards. Uh, Somerset Levels, which is near where this podcast was recorded, just full of uh, loads of interesting species, things like bitterns and egret species that were never seen in Britain when I were a lad. Uh, and birds of prey generally are doing much better than they used to do. And I remember a guy, a writer, who talked about cycling 30 miles to see a magpie because they were so oh. rare. So within living memory, some of these species of Except, you know, their numbers have absolutely exploded or disappeared. And it's, you know, it's, it's frightening when the common species disappear, like starlings and house sparrows and skylarks. But um, before we started recording, Hannah, you were talking about um, sort of mentors and people who kind of get you into wildlife. Yeah, yeah, because they, they both individually talked about people who mentored them. And so I was interested in who who mentored you? Like, where did your... But both of you, where did your interest in nature come from? For me, it was I had a, a godmother who gave me the Observer's Book of Birds, which was a tiny little sort of postage stamp sized book, and a little telescope when I was eight years old. And I started spotting a lot of starlings, weirdly enough. Everything looked like a starling for us to a small boy uh, with a pretty dodgy telescope and a very small book of birds but um and I had an uncle too who was a real naturalist and he would uh, who had a small holding out in the wilds of the forest of Dean and then we just we just he just took me on long walks and we just explored and saw beautiful things all the time and I kind of got it into my marrow and it's it's, it's that's it's fundamental to 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 my daily joy how about you, Jack? Anyone, anyone special in your life? <laughs> Weirdly, I think mine's a bit... I can't say there's there's one person that was the person that triggered it all, but I feel like there's sort of multiple people that have drip-fed it to me, I guess. Then I remember my granddad, he was always looking for birds and stuff, and I know when I was younger, I would always do the uh, bird watch every year. 
and just sit in the conservatory, mainly looking at blue tits. Uh, <laughs> that's the only one really I've got the <laughs> the power of going, that's what that is. <laughs> and I think just from that and then being quite close to the countryside anyway kind of helped. And then I think even as I grew older, I think when I was younger, I didn't appreciate it as much. And as I grew older, and especially with the nature of the my job, I guess, being in audio and technically always being in a dark room in a dingy basement somewhere <laughs> I kind of learned to appreciate being outside and the, the fresh air and the animals that are, stuff that are around and I guess that's all just accumulated into what I am now <laughs> I thought I thought you were going to say your 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 podcast team members were your mentors well I, to be honest <laughs> I think since Country Farm Podcast come along that's a uh, only just ramped it up even more <laughs> i would i don't think i've been would have been to the source of the river thames without it no that's true i think jim, yeah. jim brown sounded an absolutely incredible guy to as as you mentioned earlier hannah be a great guy to go out with he just had that richness of experience and he'd spent days and days and days just sitting and watching and i think you see things that you'd never even read about in books even sort of naturalist, great zoologists haven't seen some of the stuff that Jim will have seen. And he's so generous to pass it on like that. I saw something interesting, though, which I'm going to pass on to you. I went off to record, miserably failed recording some ravens for our sound escapes. And I was walking back along the road to my car thinking, I haven't seen any frogs born this year. And not for much further on. I caught something out of the corner of my eye. There was a big blob of what looked like ectoplasm by the side of the road in the ditch, dry ditch, high up on a hill. And it was a massive pile of frog spawn, like a bit like a sort of jellyfish that you see at the beach, stranded. So I thought, gosh, there's frog spawn in an unusual place. But it looked okay, just sort of drying out a bit. So I searched around for any sort of vessel to carry it. And I grabbed in my pocket, I had one dog poo bag <laughs> so i i grabbed fistfuls of this jelly and oh my goodness there's nothing harder to pick up than um than frog spawn with your bare hands on a cold roadside in a remote part of the brecon beacons and i managed to shove several handfuls of this stuff into the dog poo bag. <laughs> and then i was walking back to my car with everyone give, well i only passed a couple of people but they're giving me this sort of strange look like that man doesn't have a dog but he's got an extremely (laughs) (laughs) so anyway it's in the pond now and uh, it's already beginning to turn into little commas you know they start off as little eggs are like little dots in the spawn and they're already into commas so i feel like i've saved 500 tadpoles from certain doom how would it even get laid there how my guess would be that in this in the spawning um, season, which is now, they all they're all looking for any sort of water, and they obviously there was water in the ditch at that particular time, and they just grabbed the opportunity and spawned, and then the water dried up really quickly. That happens. Frog spawn is like, you know, it, it's 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 cannon fodder. Millions and millions of eggs never uh, never achieve anything. So, um, but these will hopefully. So I had a that was my amazing wildlifey experience of the week. Can anyone beat that? I don't know if it beats it. It does for me. Uh, but you can decide for yourselves. Um, I saw my first proper certified badger print. I always want it to be badgers and it's always dogs. But this time, definitely a badger. So I w- was walking over to see my friend Caroline on the other side of the village there are some fields in between us and there's a particularly muddy part of the field. And I was thinking, oh, that's, that's, that's not four toes, that's, that's five toes. I think, I think that might be a badger. I hope it's a badger. You should have made one of those, one of those little plaster casts. So. Yeah, it's yeah. probably still good, actually. Yeah, yeah might, definitely. Might oh, well, that's lovely. Yeah, more, well, more, we could have footprint of the week. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about of the weeks. Um, has anyone found a sound of the week from our post bag this, this week? Yes, we have a sound of the week this week, and it comes from Lee Bancroft. And his recording is from a farmer's field near Little Marlow in Buckinghamshire. 
he believes it's a Skylark. I guess we'll give it a listen and uh, get the result from Fergus. Well, the results are in, and it's definitely, definitely Skylark's one of my absolute favourite sounds, particularly when you're out in big skies and big arable landscapes, and that is lovely. Thank you, Lee. Hopefully we'll all be hearing them soon in big open spaces near us, but that's a beauty. And please do send in more sounds of the week. Send them anywhere you can to editor at countryfile.com. We love hearing them from around the country and there's so much going on. It's spring, spring, spring. We're in mid-March now. So send in your beautiful audio. Um, Hannah, have you got a little treat for us? I do. Uh, this week's treat is from Harriet Hardwick. She is a newcomer to the podcast and she just wanted to say what an utter joy it is. I've started with your current season and have loved the quiet, contemplative style and free narrative, especially Kevin Parr's episode. The fishing was captivating. That's lovely. That's lovely. I mean, fair play to Kevin. That's a real skill to be able to convey fishing. To make fish interesting. (laughs) (laughs) To convey fishing (laughs) on via audio, the thrill of fishing. But he really did it. So that's... um, and obviously he made fish you don't have to make fish interesting they are interesting um he uh, harriet rated us five stars oh that's so sweet thank you thank you thank you that's lovely and just gives us a little boost for the next podcast that we make this is episode 11 so next week is our very last episode in this current watery series. We're kind of rather sad we come to the end of water, but there'll be water in other episodes. The last episode has a very special star. It's our own Hannah doing her own podcast. And I was lucky enough to be a guest on that down in her homeland far away in South Wales. Well, that's a lovely place to end. And thank you so much, everyone, for listening. And thank you to Hannah and Jack for joining me again and keeping me company in the podcast studio.